Psalm 33.12. Psalm 33.12, I've entitled this, Building a Strong National Inheritance. And it uh, tells us the key to doing that. <clears throat> Canada is an incredible nation. Spanning from <laughs> east coast to west coast to the far north uh, of an incredible land. And uh, a land that my wife and I were recently uh, able to make our own as citizens. A great, uh, hard-working, enterprising Canadians have made this place a wonderful place to live. Great inventions, hard work has built this nation. But something is happening that is on a rapid decline. Sure, there have been many, many hurts and bad things that have also happened in this land. And there's a great destruction that is coming upon, really, the world uh, with a preoccupation with amusement, uh, whether TV, electronic devices, or personal pursuits. The very word amusement in Webster's 1828 Dictionary is that which amuses, detains, or engages the mind. Entertainment of the mind, pastime, a pleasurable occupation of the senses, or that which furnishes it as dancing, sports, or music. And uh, we do see a lot going on, but there's some amazing things that, uh, as we look at this verse, I, I wanted to know, let's look at me at verse 12 of Psalm 33, and then we'll pray. Verse 12, uh, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. I want to thank uh, Wesley for the selections and, and leading the music today. I really do appreciate him stepping in for that to be a great help. Uh, as we think about this blessed, how is a nation blessed? What is necessary for a nation to bless? And so what I had done is I had gone through in the Old Testament where that Hebrew word blessed was used and looked at every occurrence of it. And uh, actually some startling truths were revealed in studying where this word is used and how it's used within context. When you think about this nation uh, and, and the direction we're headed, there is tremendous, tremendous potential. But what is it that makes a nation great? What is it that makes a home great? Everyone in that home... Uh, and in that community, everyone working together to accomplish the tasks to help that community, to help that nation, to help that family, to do all that they are to do. And there is an optimism, there can be an optimism about the future if we think about blessings. But sometimes there's hesitations and concerns. And I was speaking to some people recently about some of the things in the town and uh, they've noted it's really hard to find volunteers to help out. Whether you're in church, or whether you're in the community, it's hard. Just the day and age, uh, COVID definitely was not helpful. And, you know, <laughs> I've even heard from some people that, uh, those people I've recently spoke to, they said, I lost my spouse to Facebook. You know, they're there in the home, but yet they're hours on Facebook. And, uh, you know, they're... <laughs> It's kind of like uh, being separated without being separated. Present in body, mind, and, and, uh, but not there really in a, in a meaningful relationship. And we can become easily enamored with things of very little impact. 
The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So as we reflect on Canada Day, which was on Friday, I want to look at what is necessary to make a nation blessed. And uh, as I had mentioned in the study here, but what is a nation? What is it that defines a nation? You could say, well, it's, it, well, we know the nation's Canada, but what is it that defines a nation? You have some of the communities that might be a nation. So here's a definition from Webster's Dictionary, 1828. A body of people inhabiting the same country or united under the same sovereign or government. As the English nation, the French nation, it often happens that many nations are subject to one government. In which case, the word nation usually denotes a body of people speaking the same language or a body that has formerly been under a distinct government, but has been conquered or incorporated with a larger nation. Thus, the empire of Russia comprehends many nations, as did formerly the Roman and Persian empires. Nation, as its etymology, kind of the history of the word, imports, originally denoted a family or race of men descended from a common progenitor, like a tribe. But by emigration, conquest, and intermixture of men of different families, the distinction is in most countries lost, end quotes. And that's from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And uh, the study of a nation and what makes it is it's an interesting study. And uh, something that, you know, we could easily look at uh, as we go through this study. I want you to notice, notice with me the key in this verse. Blesses the nation whose God is the Lord. So the question is, in my own personal life, as a citizen of this nation, is God my Lord? Number two, is he my God? Or is there another God? And the question we ask ourselves is we can become easily uh, enamored with other things. In Acts 17, 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And the truth is that people are willing to spend hundreds of dollars a month, potentially on TV, cell phones, or other various expenses. But we do not spend the time to really make God our God, or our Lord. And I I even saw something recently that had popped up, I guess there's some psychic that's coming into town here, and there's quite a bit of... Uh, excitement on this because this particular person is a very demonic thing but this particular person can help try to help or they purport to help people talk to the dead Uh, we know that that's forbidden in scripture it's called necromancy and uh, that is demonism occultism we find as we think about this preoccupation with self We talk about attending church as though it is some great sacrifice, but attending church and spending time with God is obedience. It's not a sacrifice. It's merely doing what we're supposed to do. For too many, other preoccupations or other desires, they dictate our time. And we fail in in our nation and in other nations of the world. What place or prominence does God have in the hearts of the nation. Now, there was, to the credit, obviously we saw down in the States, the reversal of Roe v. Wade on abortion, and that's a blessed thing. 
and the protecting of infant life. But the question is, how is a nation truly blessed? Is it electing more morally conservative politicians? Is it getting freedom to live as I desire? How is a nation blessed? Is it blessed when, I, when we're financially secure? No, as this verse reads, it is to make God my God, the God of the Bible, my God and my Lord. And so I want to talk about that uh, and look at some things and just get us to think about, you know what, we live in a great nation. Are there lots of, is there wickedness in this nation? Yes. Are there great injustices that have happened? Yes, there are. The injustices happen, though, when man lives for man rather than man lives for God. And doesn't look at every human being as created in the very image of God as a precious person. We get our eyes off of God of the Bible, we get our eyes on ourselves, our own philosophies, and a nation goes a wrong way. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful goodness and grace. And Lord, I... I'm not worthy to preach the message. God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your calmness of mind. And Lord, I pray that you refresh our spirits as we reflect upon this nation. Lord, as those of us here, many and if not all, are citizens of this country. And God, you used the 12 disciples. Lord, and they turn the world upside down. The problem is, Lord, in, in my life and others, maybe, I get my eyes off of you as my God, and I can become distracted with temporal things. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would help us as we evaluate your word in light of Canada Day and reflecting upon this nation. We love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As you really think about it in the past, and you look at some of the great historical figures of the past that God used in this nation, it was some people that had a fear of God. Uh, people that realized that a lot of uh, the church growth that would happen in the early days of this country were individuals that surely just loved God. They didn't necessarily have all of the education, but they sure loved God and they loved the Bible. And they studied it, and God used them in a mighty way. What is one of the things that can be whose God is the Lord, but what if uh, I say whose God is ease? I want to give just a couple, of, uh, you know, and this is worldwide. It isn't necessarily uh, specific here to Canada only, but uh, the Journal of a Medical, American Medical Association, JAMA, uh, studied the homicide rates. Uh, in the 1950s till uh, the conclusion of the study in 1994. Now, this is quite aged, but they said that the homicides on TV had doubled. Uh, there's another one, Media Awareness Network, 1989 to 1999. Again, these are quite dated, 20-something years old, right? They said that sexual and violent material and coarse language combined, the per-hour rate almost tripled in a decade. I don't even, I, I tried to find something more recent and couldn't find anything, Foul language was 5.5 times more frequent, and curse words used uh, much harsher than those even in 89. There was a lot of inappropriate references, more than 24 times as much as in 19, uh, and, and then later on in another study, 
sexual references were more than 24 times as common in 1999. This is Dr. Leonard Ebron. He said that watching violent television is a stronger predictor of later life violence than exhibitions of violent behavior as a child. Just kids, you know, kind of roughhousing. But watching stuff on TV, too much TV between ages 1 and 3 results in ADHD symptoms at age 7. This is what this gentleman states. According to the A.C. Nielsen Company, the average American watches 3 hours and 46 minutes of TV each day, or 28 hours per week, or 57 days of nonstop TV watching per year. In a 65-year life, supposing that that person starts watching TV at age 5, they will have spent 10.2 years glued to the television. 10.2 years. And, it just, and, and the number of hours watched and number of studies examining children at that time, they, studied, they did a greater study back in the 90s than they do even today, but uh, it says, here's a starting statistic. The number of minutes per week that parents spend in meaningful conversation with their children is 3.5 minutes. The average five-year-old spends 25 minutes in close interaction with dad per week and 25 hours with a television. The percentage of four- to six-year-olds who, who, when asked to choose between watching television and spending time with their dads, preferred television 54% of the time. The average hours per year the average American youth spends in school is 900 hours. The average hours of youth watching television was 1,500. That's a lot of hours of information, study, and morals being put into the minds of the youth. By the the age of 18, a child will have witnessed over 40,000 murders and 200,000 violent TV acts. It also says, you know, in a multi-year study, Dr. J. Martin of University of Southern California, in a multi-year study of 732 children, conflicts with parents, fighting with peers, and delinquency were correlated with the total number of hours of television viewing. And there's a lot of other stuff. How about this? Children get one hour of Sunday school per week on average, two hours of church, and 25 to 30 hours of television. So what direction are the children going to be going in regards to their morals? Well, it's to whom is teaching them. And it can bring a child, it can bring us into the place of, you know, this hypnotic alpha brainwave uh, where we just go into coast mode. Am I saying it's bad? No. But understanding what are we doing with our time. Television viewing, it leads to passivity. or You know, I don't want to go out and play. I just want to sit behind the television and watch. I want to play my games. I want to do this. You could also look at cell phone usage, and, and it's so easy to be addicted to this. I'm just going through some statistics, and I'll, and I'll draw this all, just giving you some ideas There were 33 million mobile cell phone subscribers in 2019. For 56.1% of Canadians, checking their phone is the last thing they do before they fall asleep. 95% of Canadian millennials own a phone. 26% of car accidents happen due to phone usage. And 73% of Canadians spend almost four hours a day online. In regards to addictions of cell phones, when you think about this, 74% of 
Uh, this is a U.S. study. Americans feel uneasy leaving their phone at home. 71% of Americans say they check their phones within the first 10 minutes of waking up. 53% they have never gone longer than 24 hours without their cell phone. 47% consider themselves addicted. 35% use or look at their phone while driving. 70% of Americans check their phones within five minutes of receiving a notification. Ding! Oh, I've got to check my phone. Right. 64% will use their phone in the washroom. 61% texted someone from the washroom. 48% people feel they, they feel a sense of panic or anxiety when their cell phone battery goes below 20%. 45% say their phone is their most valuable possession. 43% use or look at their phone while on a date. And on average, they spend almost three hours each day. So the average American will spend nearly a month and a half on their phones in the year 2022. Equals about 7.2 years of your life using a phone at this rate for 60 years. Just some of the things when you think about this. Look with me at the book of Amos. What was it that would lead the nation of Israel into the, uh, the deplorable state that it would go? Uh, ultimately, it would deal with ease. We are a people that are attracted to ease. I am as well. In verse 1 of uh, Amos chapter 6, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, Amos 6, 1, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nation to whom the house of Israel came. Verse 3, Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. So in this passage of Scripture here, here is a people of Judah, Samaria, which actually was Israel, and there's a security in their riches, a security in their entertainment, security in their personal aptitude. I have the ability. And then in verses 3 through 7, there's an inclination to, to music, to drinking, and ultimately to self-aggrandizement. What makes me feel good? I mean, really, it would be a good description of today. And uh, the Bible tells us, let's look at James chapter 1. And, you know, they talk about lying on couches. I mean, kind of like a couch potato, just <laughs> entertaining themselves all day and uh, being very unprofitable. And it's very enticing. I mean, we want to do that at times. Sometimes we like to, to go out and do things, but sometimes, you know, there's that desire to want to just kick back and watch a film. Kick back. And, and am I saying those are inherently wrong? I'm not. Okay, so I'm not against these intrinsically, but what am I doing with my life? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Is it my ease that's my God, or is it God that's my God that's dictating how I use my time? In James chapter 1, verse 21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. 
For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. If I'm given to ease, and I'm given to really watching a great deal, now obviously you're going to know what is a great deal, because the Spirit of God will convict you. But you're given to watching a lot of the, the things of the world, particularly, you know, some television. You're going to begin to gain some of the morals and the values of that which you watch. Because it's teaching you something. It's telling you. It's giving you values. You watch it and you say, over time, it may not bother you. I remember an evangelist back when I was in school and he talked about this gentleman that uh, had a hatred for smoking. And he had seen one time on a television show, he had seen a, a commercial for uh, this one particular kind of cowboy or whatever smoking some brand of cigarettes. And then he said when he saw it the first time, he got so angry, and uh, he turned the television off. But the next time he watched it, his reaction was not as great. And still it went further to the point of just like, oh, okay, just another ad. Where are my values seated? As a citizen of this nation, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I've got, I'm, you know, we are of this nation. The nation will not be, you know, those who profess Christ, if we ourselves who profess Christ can be a people of ease rather than a people of commitment, then the nation has no chance how can we turn a nation around if I myself who profess Christ can't even be doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And here's an attitude of elevation when you think about this from this verse, Psalm 33:12. 12. Blessed is the nation whose God. That word God there is the same word God used in Genesis 1:1, Elohim. In one commentary as it's discussing this word, of Elohim there in the Hebrew. In the, it is the plural of El, E-L, and literally means the mighty one. Inherent in the plurality of the term is the Trinity. And indeed, the Godhead is one, yet comprised of three distinct personalities. It is clear the personality within the Godhead assigned to do the actual work of creation as the Son, Jesus Christ. And we know that from John chapter 1. Colossians also uh, deals with that. But we know that Jesus Christ uh, is the Creator, but there's one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons uh, in one. Jesus is God in the flesh. But then there is a recognition of God who is the Almighty. When you think about a nation that makes God their God, I want you to look with me at Jonah chapter 3, verse 7. What happens when a nation of people actually make God their God? And I'm talking the God that of the Bible God. I'm not talking the God that I have conformed to some image that I think He is. I'm not talking about a God that tries to take Jesus and make Him into some stuffed doll. 
I'm not talking about that. But in Jonah chapter 3, notice with me what happens when God's word is elevated and the God of the Bible begins to be the true God in the hearts of its citizens. Verse 7 So we know that Jonah, in this passage of Scripture, Jonah's gone in, he preached, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Uh, Verse 7, and he caused it to be, chapter 3, verse 7, he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn, repent, and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? He said, We've got the, the Ninevites were a people that were incredibly violent. I mean, they would take their, uh, their uh, enemies and they would cut them apart alive. And here is the king in fear of God saying, let us repent. They are recognizing who is the almighty one. Who is the creator? Who is the one that is ultimately ruling? And the problem is with the violence in our land, in our community, is because the God of your life is yourself. And as a believer in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So the question to ask you is, to whom do you belong? The Bible tells us my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit of God. I don't belong to myself. It's not what I value, it's what he values. Why would I say that I belong to him? He bought me. He went to that cross, suffered the pain and anguish. He resurrected. It doesn't matter where you come from. I belong to him. You belong to him if you profess the name of Jesus Christ. And as I think about it, and as I thought about it, it's not my time, it's not my money, it's not my belongings. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, when I take my last breath upon this world, none of it I will take with me. There's also, and we think about this, who's God? So the Ninevites, they made God their God. They they put away these pagan idols, these pagan practices, and they made God their God. But then there's another word that's used in Psalm 33, 12, whose God is the Lord. That word Lord is Jehovah, his name. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God Lord God, that's the first usage of the word, Jehovah Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. 
And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. That word Lord is in a relationship with man. He's personal. My first name is Chris, or Christopher, as I go by. And your first name is whatever it is. It's a name that has significance to other people. He's saying whose God is the Lord, whose God is personal. Now the question we might want to ask ourselves is how... So we've, we've understood the Elohim, in the beginning, God. Whose God is, and then we find Lord is Jehovah, His personal name. But how do I get to that place of blessed? Or blessedness? How do I get to the place of blessing in my life? Or in your life? First of all, I want you to look with me. I want to take you to a few passages of Scripture. Deuteronomy 33, 29. Deuteronomy 33, 29. Uh, that same word translated blessed in Psalm 33, 12 is translated, Psalm 33, 29. What's the first word there? Happy. It's translated as happy here. Same Hebrew word. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is likened to thee, O people saved by the Lord. The shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. The fact is, in order to receive the blessings of God, number one, you must be born again. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you cannot be blessed. There's individuals that I may talk with, and I said, hey, would you, you know, you may talk to them, and they say, hey, can you come pray for me? I said, I can pray for you, but the, you know, the thing is, ultimately, if they don't know Christ, that's the first thing that they need. And what is the significance of salvation? Psalm 32, 1. If you want to look there again, that word blessed is used in this passage of Scripture, but what is the significance of salvation? Of this idea of blessings. In Psalm 32. And it reads, a psalm of David, Masil. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. What happens when you're saved? Your conscience is cleared. You're forgiven before God. You, and it says, imputeth not. That word impute is if you're in the court of law and maybe you've done a lot of bad things. And the judge begins to read of some of your errors or some of your uh, public <laughs> transgressions, your public offenses that have, you know, breaking the law. And the judge says, you know what? I'm going to wipe your slate clean. You have no more problems. You've never done any of these. They're clean. They're clear. I'm ripping them all up. 
There's nothing on your record anymore. God's saying, listen to your account in heaven before my justice hall, you're innocent. Number two, to receive the blessings of God, look with me at Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. If I am walking in the counsel or the philosophy of the world, of the ungodly, then I do not receive the blessings. But, you go, I mean, so what it is, and and ultimately it's obedience and humility. I'm not walking the counsel, but his, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So there's an obedience to the things of God. You know what? I'm resisting foolishness. I'm resisting foolishness of the ungodly. Have you ever had someone that tries to give you advice? And man, their life is a mess. I mean, their life is upside down, backwards, inside out. You name it, they're a mess. And they're trying to give you advice on how to deal with life. And they give you something. You're like, okay, well, maybe that's good. Or how about on television? We get this idea sometimes on television, you know, you get married or whatever and happily ever after. Well, it takes some work. It takes some devotion. So there's a resisting of foolishness for obedience to God's word. Psalm 106.3, most, a lot of the word blessed or happy is found in Psalms. In Psalm 106.3, blessed are they that keep judgment So what is there? In order to receive the blessings, there's an attention to pleasing the Lord. For blessed are they that keep my ways. Proverbs 8.32, the latter portion of that verse. Proverbs 8.34, blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates. And the verse goes on. And then Isaiah 56, again, an attention to to following God and doing what God wants us to do. The question is, am I doing in my life what God wants me to do? Who is it that's dictating how I live my life? The third thing, as I found in my study of the word blessed, is a disciplined people. And what I mean by this, in Job 5.17, this is Eliphaz, he's the one giving Job a hard time, but the truth is still there. He got this point right. He said, Behold, happy is a man whom God correcteth, therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Have you ever been chastened by God? What I mean by chastening is, uh, if I was a young kid, I got a good licking. I mean, I got, I, got, uh, I, I, I got in big trouble. But a big trouble to say, don't do that again. But the chastening of God is the discipline of God wherein I may hit some very hard times that God would wake, that I would wake up to understand, listen, I'm going the wrong way. But it's a people that says, listen, I've messed up and I want to go the right way. And in Psalm 2.12, kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way 
when his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all, all they that put their trust in him. There's a trusting God's will. You know what? In my discipline, have you ever had God close a door in your face? And I'm not talking a literal door, maybe, but, you know, have you ever had a, a pathway you were on in life and then all of a sudden uh, you came to the place where, man, you tried harder to go that direction and everything you tried, you just kept like trouble after trouble after trouble. I mean, you were just slugging it, trying to get through that pathway, have that door open. You thought, man, that's the direction. And finally, that door just closes so hard and you cannot make any forward progress. You know what? We just come to the place. We say, okay, Lord, thank you. Psalm 94, 12, Bless the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, teaches him out of thy law. You know what? If, if we're receiving chastening of the Lord, then we know that we're his child. Hebrews gives uh, truth to that as well. That he's, you know, I'm just trusting him. Now, chastening is not a fun thing. Getting in trouble is not a good thing, right? This also, in this word blessed, another thing is in Psalm 34. Look with me at Psalm 34. I've got a number of verses, but I'm not going to go through all of them uh, for the sake of time this morning. In Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O f- and then, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Blessed is the man. You know what you do? I'm trusting. I'm trusting when I don't know what the next step is. How about Psalm 40, verse 4? In Psalm 40, verse 4, Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. You know what I'm saying? Again, I'm refusing the ungodly, and I'm just going to simply trust God. When, and I said, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know why. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it because I know this is what God wants me to do. That makes the Lord his trust. You know, and it says, and respecteth not the proud. There's a lot of arrogant people in the world, and they don't necessarily say, hey, I'm all arrogant. No, but I'm listening to the advice of the world on what to do with my life when the very creator who made me knows what's best for my life. So why would I listen to someone who's temporal and temporary and finite in their understanding and not listen to one who's eternal in what he knows what's best for me? Proverbs 16, 20, He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. You know what? Sometimes as a young child, I'd follow my dad, my dad would be teaching me how to fix a car. I'd be doing an oil change or doing a tune-up or changing the brakes or something like that that my dad was teaching me. And I just had to trust that my dad knew what he was doing. And I'd get in the car after we had done a a caliper change and, and we'd bled the brakes and I'm driving down the road hoping that what dad has done works so I have brakes. Because if I don't have brakes, that's a bad day. You know what I know, know something else? Look at me at Psalm 65.4 for my next point about idea of blessings. What, are, what is a blessing in Psalm 65.4? Blessed is the God who's, 
<clears throat> blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, but in Psalm 65, 4, what is the next blessing of God? And how do I receive this blessing? Psalm 65, 4, blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. That he may dwell in thy courts, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. What's he saying? You're a called person. You have purpose. I've got something I want you to do in this world. As I said in Sunday school, David was called as a shepherd boy to be a king. There's another man named Benaiah, a mighty warrior that God used. He wasn't a king. He was one of David's bodyguards, but still very important. You think about another person who was called in the, Old, in the New Testament. You had Mary that would uh, anoint Jesus' feet. Was that not significant? Was that not the calling of God upon her life at that moment? Yes, it was. So it doesn't matter what our calling is, but if I'm doing what God has called me to do, then I'm blessed. Let's look at the the sixth point on this idea of a blessing. I may have to finish this up this evening, but Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verse 13. You want to know something else about being blessed? In order to be blessed, but also the product of being blessed? Verse 13 of Proverbs 3. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. If you think back to the time when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and the joy and the peace that flooded your soul, when you made Jesus your Savior, and you could say, some people say, well, he's just the big man upstairs. No, he's not. He's my God. He's just the Creator. No, he's not. He's personal. I've got a knowledge, and you have a knowledge, if you're saved, about that God. The God. Notice this. You know that God bestows wisdom. He bestows wisdom on a man that's searching, and when you find it, there's blessings. You know what, also there's a wisdom. It says in Ecclesiastes 10, 17, Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is a son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. There is an abstaining from the things that will cause your mind to not be sober. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, as we spoke about last weekend, inappropriate, immoral, pornographic images, you name it, you stay away from that which is going to cause you to not be sober. And sober, I mean you're under control. In the wisdom of God, I'm searching for wisdom. You know how to be blessed? You've got to be searching for God's wisdom. How do I live life? And the last two points of being blessings, and I'll 
In Psalm 89, verse 15. I'll review some of these points tonight as I, I don't have enough time for the other ones, but Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. You know what? I'm thankful and appreciative in the Lord, in my music, and in my lifestyle. When I'm wanting, when I'm singing, and the music that I listen to, I want it to bring praises to Him. I'm blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. There is a distinction in Christian music from non-Christian secular music. There is a difference. And it's not the words that make the difference. We're not singing in church some honky-tonk tune. We're singing hymns with great uh, truths about our God. Knowing the joyful sound. And you find also, and being a thankful, ultimately the singing is a thankful people. I'm thankful for what God's done. I'm thankful for even some of the hard times and the low times. Am I always thankful? No. There's sometimes I really struggle. You know, in Psalm 112, 1 through 3, Praise ye the Lord, blesses the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. You know what? I just find satisfaction in God. I want you to look with me at Psalm 144, verse 14. I told you a lot of these blesseds are in Psalms. Psalm 144, 14. Verse 14 kind of gives a little bit of context here. You can read before that more if you want. But verse 14 of Psalm 144, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. (laughs) I'm just thankful to have Jehovah as my Elohim. Whose God is is Jehovah. I know him personally. Whose Elohim, whose God, is my God. My God is not anything of this world. We can have that as an academic exercise upstairs. Of course he's my God. But if he's your God, then we have a commitment to him. It will be evidenced in my life and in my uh, desires, and is also by how I express my time. And how I express, you know, in regards to your time, your talents. And last of all, a blessed people. This, if God is our Lord, look with me at Psalm 41.1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. 
And I'm not talking about a, an individual who's necessarily uh, poor because they, they refuse wisdom. You know, sometimes poverty comes because an individual says, I don't want the things of God. So that's a judgment. Sometimes poverty comes because things happen and, and, and you know, it does talk about that. But there's a, you know what this is? It's a neighborly person, a blessed person. If I'm blessed, in order to be blessed, there is a neighborly person where I'm thinking about the person more than myself. There's also in Psalm 127, happy is that man that hath his quiver full of them. It's talking about children. There's a blessing of children. And in Proverbs 14, 21, he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he, or blessed is he. You know what? There's a neighborly person, right? The first two commandments, love God, love your neighbors yourself. That neighbor is yourself. God's saying you're blessed. How can I be a help to others? As I draw this to a close, I still have a few more things to go through that I'll have to finish this evening, but I just want to challenge you on this idea of being a citizen to help build a strong national inheritance. As a citizen of this nation, we can complain all day long about how bad this nation is. We can complain about our politicians. We can complain about our rulers. But if I don't make God my God, my complaining, there's, there's no use to it. Because I'm not being the citizen of the nation that I need to be to help this nation be the nation that it should be. What was it in Nineveh? It was a king who got his heart right. It was someone else. It was other people that broke down, that got their hearts right and turned the nation around. Revival doesn't happen unless we personally get to the place, and I personally get to the place and realize, listen, I'm, I'm the one at fault. I need to at least change my heart and my life. There can be no strong national inheritance if I'm not blessed because I'm living in a way to be blessed. So this morning as we have a time of invitation, I want to ask you as we went through several of those points on on being blessed, uh, let me go over these again. A blessed nation is a nation with saved people. It is a nation that has obedient or humble people, disciplined people, that trusts the Lord first, recognizes their call of God, is a wise people shunning foolishness, is a thankful people and has neighborly citizens. What if instead of, you know, you get angry at a neighbor and so you bring legal pursuits against them? Or you may even get into a conflict where physical nature occurs. But what if I exhibit the qualities of one who's deserving of being blessed? Building a strong national inheritance requires that we as Christians be a blessed people. Because I'm living in a way to be blessed. I'm not preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity here. I'm not saying you're going to get rich. I'm not saying uh, you won't have troubles in your life. But I am saying you can have the blessings of God upon your life. If we live in a way where God says, listen, blessed is 
And ultimately, it comes down to a trust and obey. And so if I can have Miss Pat come forward, we'll have a time of invitation. A time of invitation, if you're not familiar with it, is a time to just pray and talk with God in the silence of where you're at. You can come pray up front. You can pray in your pew. But just really think about it. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do to be a good citizen of this nation, to help it to build it, to make it a strong national inheritance? We can look at it and say, man, this nation is going to pot. This nation's going to decline. This nation, this nation, this nation. But if I'm not the person of this nation to be what I ought to be, I have no room to gripe and complain. It's about time in our lives that we look to see what God says is necessary to being blessed. As the music plays, the first question I want to ask you is, are you saved? You have no blessings if you're not saved as the music plays. Are you saved? Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you ever trusted that He's the only way? There are no other way, no other faith, only Jesus. Simple faith to call it to Him and ask Him to forgive you and be your Savior. And as a Christian, am I being the person I ought to be? God can bestow blessings. The nation's in the, this nation's in the, the mess it's in because of a refusal of God. But when God's people in God's house reject God's ways, there surely is no return. May we be the people, the citizens that we need to be. However, the Lord's spoken to your heart, I trust that you would ask the Lord to help you be the person you ought to be. The music will come to a close here shortly. And I just ask that we just really think about it. Am I the citizen I ought to be? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the day. Lord, I thank you for your, your graciousness and kindness. Father, I do thank you for those that have laid the foundations. Lord, yes, there have been many wrong things done in this nation. But Father, am I the person I ought to be to at least receive your blessings? Am I the citizen I ought to be? Lord, as we go forward, may you be honored and glorified. Because Father, I pray that you continue to work on our hearts and help us to be a blessed people. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you.